0: Knowledge. What is knowledge?
1: Well, the world has many ways of defining knowledge. It's sometimes the things you know and the facts you've got in your head or maybe how to do something. Uh, Even the education that we receive when you get a diploma. Ooh, now I have knowledge.
0: Well, the Bible actually says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight.
1: this is all things together Together. and on this episode we're
0: talking about
1: knowledge and science and god and we are so excited to introduce you to a brilliant new friend that we have his name is professor andy mcintosh
0: i'll be brief
2: i'm andy mcintosh i live in england
1: Uh, Not far from Manchester.
0: And a brand new As Told by Little's podcast theater.
1: You're going to want to stick around for this one, kids. It features George Whitfield and Benjamin Franklin. And we'll find out how science and knowledge connected Whitfield and Franklin.
3: That means that 30,000 people can easily hear Whitfield. Perhaps more. This, This is incredible.
0: So, speaking of science, we want you to meet our friend, Professor Andy McIntosh.
1: Andy recently gave a series of lectures at our church here in California, and we invited him to talk with a small group of people, some adults, some kids, and all of them lovers of science and God.
0: And we began talking about the modern state of science, and if it's true that naturalism explains it all.
1: Well, the science is
2: saying the exact opposite. It shows to you that there is a mind behind the laws of the universe, that the laws which we in a measure understand, although I don't think we understand, nobody can say they understand it all, but that which we do understand shows to us a wonderfully designed uh, for instance DNA in the biology uh, which Crick and Watson found in 1953 uh, shows a remarkable storage system, Mm. which is modern computers can't get anywhere near the the information density that you could get in DNA, uh, it's phenomenal, and we're nowhere near it. And that in itself is showing to us that there is a brilliant mind which put mm. all this together. Well, who decided that that code should be there? Yeah. Because the chemicals themselves don't organise themselves into this particular order. It's something which is as it were, transcended to the chemistry and the physics. Mm. There's nothing in the chemistry and physics which say, says that these nucleotides should all be ordered in a particular way. Mm-hmm. That is telling you that there is a mind behind it. And that's just one example. I could go into all, the, <laughs> all these things, but that's one famous example. Right,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you said, you see a mind behind it. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but the infamous... Uh, Argument that uh, you put all the the parts of a of a watch into a bag and shake it all up, and that it would form a ticking clock uh, would be foolish.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it it would be utter nonsense to say that a a watch uh, could actually form itself. It can't, um, and that's been used uh, way back in, hundreds of years ago. Um, that this has been said, and it was one of the arguments that. Uh, frankly, was already undermining Darwin's proposal that that systems could make themselves.
4: Mm, yeah.
2: That has been, perhaps, that argument has been put into a... has been re-expressed rather cleverly by Mike Behe, who's talked about irreducible complexity. And it basically says that if you've got one system... It generally doesn't usually in in most of our machinery, uh, human made machinery, operate on its own. It needs other machines with them in order to make it work. Mm. So in a watch, you have all sorts of cogs and wheels and springs. And the spring is no use unless it's attached to other things which are actually interacting with that spring. And that's the argument that might be he is making in his book, famous book, Darwin's Black Box, that you've got to have all these other things working as well. And without those things working, you won't get a fully functioning system. Well, if you look at the human body, it's full of these types of things where I've mentioned DNA, the DNA won't work unless you've got um, what's called ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate, which is a very unstable molecule, which on its own would just disintegrate It needs a system around it to make sure that that ATP is operating and the ATP is actually Vital for polymerizing DNA that is adding phosphate bonds on the vertical parts of the DNA Well, all this is basically uh, Ending up as a chicken and egg situation because the DNA needs a protein to actually make it, and yet the DNA is coding for proteins, as I've just explained earlier. Mm -hmm. So which one came first, the proteins or the DNA? Well, actually, you need them all. And you need the ATP, the ATP synthase, which makes ATP, you need that, and the ATP synthase is a very complicated little little rotary motor. So there is a (laughs) whole vast area in the cell, a proliferation
1: of machines. This is the All Things Together podcast, and we're talking with Professor Andy McIntosh from England, and those are really some amazing things to ponder, huh, Melissa?
0: Yes, to know and see how complex we are as human beings, and can't possibly come from nothing. I mean, that is mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, when you talk about nothing, it's absolutely nothing. (laughs) So it just seems ridiculous to say we came from nothing.
0: And speaking of men with knowledge... Albert Einstein easily comes to mind.
1: Yeah, Einstein actually had the portrait of a man hanging in his study, who he looked to as the source of the foundation of all of his studies.
0: This man is also the man that Andy McIntosh likes to share about when he speaks
1: around the world. He was a brilliant scientist, and he was actually a Christian. His name was Michael Faraday. And he was born into a poor family. His dad was a blacksmith, and they moved to London in the late 1700s for better opportunities.
2: Michael Faraday was born in London in 1791, and he said of his education My education was one of the most ordinary description, consisting of little more than the rudiments of reading, writing, and arithmetic. We call that the three R's. Mm-hmm at a common day school. But he loved reading. When he was 13, he was sent to work running errands for a bookbinder. Ribot, this gentleman who had a bookbinding business, saw in Michael Faraday a very hard-working young lad, and so he took him on as his apprentice.
0: Working for the Bookbinder was a godsend, giving Michael the opportunity to read many books on all sorts of subjects.
1: He was especially drawn to the books on chemistry and electricity, and by the age of 21, he asked the Royal Society if he could work for them.
2: And he said, even if I was just a bottle washer, could you give me a position at the Royal Society just to work for you and to learn more about
1: science?
0: Now, you might be wondering what the Royal Society is. So were we. After a quick Google search.
1: We found this simple description on their website. Yep, they're still around.
0: And they say, we are the Independent Scientific Academy of the UK, dedicated to promoting excellence in science for the benefit of humanity.
1: The Royal Society. So back to our story. Michael Faraday had fallen in love with science, and he really wanted to be around other scientists.
0: But he got no reply, so he kept sending letters and finally got a letter back from the president of the society. In the end,
2: he did get a response, and Joseph Banks said, Your letter requires no answer. Oh, wow. In other words, he was arrogant, Joseph Banks. Wow. Wow. And he was the first president of the Royal Society. It hadn't been going very long. Though discouraged, Michael Faraday did not give up. He wrote up his notes of what he had learned in a book called, his old words, The Philosophical Miscellany.
1: And Michael started to attend more and more lectures uh, with all sorts of scientists. And it was there that he really increased his knowledge of science. And eventually, he landed a position with Sir Humphrey Davy.
0: Davy is known now as one of the greatest chemists and inventors in Great Britain history. And now Michael was working hand in hand with him.
2: He began to do experiments with him. I won't go into all the detail here, but he helped him and he even went on trips going abroad with Sir Humphrey Davy. Basically, Humphrey Davy regarded him as his right hand man, who was becoming more and more and was doing experiments and was really showing a real understanding which was way beyond his training and his years.
1: So during his late 20s and into his early 30s, Michael began to lecture as well as make great discoveries in the world of electromagnetism.
0: And he also got married to a woman named Sarah.
2: When he worked on electromagnetism, he began to discover that there was a connection between electricity and magnetism. And this is really one of his major discoveries. Eventually, Humphrey Davy uh, moves on and Michael Faraday becomes the head of the Royal Institution. So he's Mm. really now running the Royal Institution.
1: Now let's just pause right here for a second. Here's a man who had no formal education, but was in love with the natural world that God had made.
0: He was fascinated by creation and wanted to understand its order. So he read and read and read and got himself involved with other sorts of people who had the same purpose.
1: And now he was put in charge of a national scientific organization in his early 30s. (laughs) I think that's pretty cool.
0: Something really cool is that at Christmas time, he would do a series of lectures for children. But the lecture he's most
2: famous for is understanding the principle of electromagnetism. Basically, he describes if you actually get a wheel, which is magnetic, and you cause that that wheel to move, It actually creates an electric current and you could actually he actually produced a bulb which began to shine as a result of a moving magnet Wow and it was this connection between a moving magnet and electricity which showed that electricity was connected with magnetism
1: all of Michael Faraday's discoveries about electricity and magnetism were later used by James Clark Maxwell, who created the wave equation that helped us understand how to use electricity. The electric world we know today is thanks in part to their discoveries.
0: In fact, he invented a cage that most of us have in our kitchen today.
1: A cage isn't your usual kitchen gadget. No,
0: it's not. But this invention called the Faraday cage is found today in the form of the mesh screen found on the microwave door that allows you to see what you're cooking but doesn't allow electromagnetic waves to escape so you can heat up your leftover pizza.
1: And people also use the same type of metallic mesh in materials or bags to block digital thieves from stealing information from phones and computers.
0: God had given Michael an intelligent mind and he gained great knowledge about the world he lived in. But he was always quick to show how this pointed to God, our great creator.
2: Professor Wewell, you won't know of him, but he was a professor at Cambridge. He and Michael Faraday believed that the laws of science are evidence for the existence of God and that the discovery of these laws is a task that has been given by God in order to bring humankind to a greater understanding of the majesty of his design. In other words, a bit like Johann Kepler Mm -hmm. Johann Kepler, who understood the laws of the planets, which NASA still use today. But (laughs) Johann Kepler said, doing science is like thinking God's thoughts after him. Wow. And this is a very similar quote from Michael Faraday. He did many discoveries, right? He made many lectures that I've just referred to. And there is one famous quote that I want to give to you which says, therefore, our philosophy, that is really like we would say today, our science. Okay. Whilst it shows us these things, right, and it would be the electric electricity magnetism experiment, or else it would be a chemical experiment, he would do all these experiments in front of people, sometimes in front of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Wow. And Prince Albert, the consort to Queen Victoria the husband of Queen Victoria, loved Michael Faraday. He was a great friend with him. Wow. And he would get other people to come and listen to Michael Faraday. He was well-known in London. And here he is standing in front of all these high-ups, including royalty, saying, therefore, uh, our science, whilst it shows us these things, should lead us to think of him, and he points to God, who has wrought them, we would say, who has made them, for it is said by an authority far above even that which these works present that, and now he quotes Romans chapter one, verse 20, that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. And wow. Godhead. So here's a great scientist who is now recognized by everybody in London, right? Yeah. Never got a degree, right? Yeah. Come up from being a blacksmith's son, then a bookbinder, then just basically read lots of books, listened to great scientists of Mm -hmm. the day, and just by simply doing his own experiments, God has honored him and given him a platform before some very great people and there he is quoting the Bible and saying I love the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Wow. wow the story of Michael Faraday is an aspiring one for everyone but especially for Christians. Of course Michael was a sinner saved by grace. He wasn't a perfect man but he sought to honor the Lord and to bring glory to his name in all that he did.
0: And the Lord was pleased to bless him and give him more opportunities to point to our Creator through his discoveries. We asked Professor McIntosh what his takeaway is from the life of Michael Faraday. And kids, this is so important for you to understand right now.
2: God honors those who honor Him. God actually says that in 1 Samuel, those that honor me, I will honor. And I think we've lost that today. Mm. Um, We need to honor God in our activity, whatever it might be, we need to honor him and put him first. So we need to be those who are not afraid to simply say, I am a Christian and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. I think we need more of that today Mm Secondly, I think we need humility, and Michael Faraday showed humility, so did James Clerk Maxwell. Um, They loved their science, but they loved the way it could glorify God. God honours those who honour him, and it only requires one or two to completely change the academics uh, uh, society. you might think that it requires all to turn to Christ. No, just requires some to stand up and be counted. Wow. And to have a big effect. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to do that. So if you're thinking of becoming a scientist, put God first in your science. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to say that you do believe. There are some today who are doing that. And I can think of some in my country who are doing that. We need more, though. We need to have others in the younger generation standing up and saying, I want to honor God in my science.
1: This is the All Things Together podcast, and we're so thankful for the time we got to spend with our friend, Professor Andy McIntosh, a scientist with much knowledge, but he also knows the most important knowledge of all, that the creator of all things came to this world to die for sinners like you and me.
0: Mm, So very true. Andy would be the first to say that Christ holds all things together. In fact, that's exactly why we call our podcast, All Things Together. I bet you guys were wondering.
1: Yep. Paul writes to the Colossians in the first chapter of his epistle, and starting in verse 16, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, And for Him, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together.
0: Whether you're exploring the natural world or writing stories about church history, Christ is the center of all things. He is the Creator and He holds all things together. And this is why we are to worship Him in all things. He is worthy of our praise.
1: This is the knowledge that Michael Faraday knew about Jesus. This is what Professor Andy McIntosh knows about Jesus. And that leads us to our final story that we want to share with you on this episode.
0: It's all about two men with two kinds of knowledge. These men were friends, perhaps unlikely friends. Both were very smart and appreciated each other's work
1: and intelligence. The evangelist and preacher George Whitfield and politician, scientist, philosopher, and one of the founding fathers of America, Benjamin Franklin.
0: So without further ado, here's... Five Solas Media presents, as told by Littles, Podcast Theater. George and Ben, unlikely friends.
3: You there, up in the tree. Oh rats, he spotted me. Christ can see you. You can't hide from him behind those leaves. Come down from there, Zacchaeus, and believe. Oh, you're right. I know Christ sees my sins. I can't hide, but how can I be saved? Ah! Ouch. Who's the kid, anyway? My name is William. Dear William, flee from your sin to Christ. Believe in Him, the only one who saves. Oh, God, forgive me of my sins. What a wretch am I. I believe you're the only one who can save me through the blood of Christ.
4: A long time ago, in a place not so far away, America actually, there was a famous traveling preacher, George Whitefield. People have called him America's first celebrity, even though he was from England. He preached to many thousands about
3: Christ, and many were saved through his passionate ministry. Benjamin Franklin, what brings you to this audience to hear Whitfield speak? Well, I've seen him all over Twitter. Not that I go on all that much. And I thought I'd come to see what this is all about. You better believe there is no way I'm going to give this man any money for his collection. Well, hold on to your hat, Ben, because I bet you never heard a speaker preach like this. Give, give ear to my, to my prayer, prayer oh God. God. And hide hide not not yourself from my plea of mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because because of the noise of the enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked. Man alive. That man's a good speaker. Maybe I'll give him a few pennies. See, I told you so. Have, Have mercy, mercy on, on me, me, O God, God according, according to, to your steadfast love, according, according to, to your, your binded mercy. Hmm, okay, he's got me. I've never heard such a good speaker. Maybe I'll give him a few of my silver coins, too. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me, evening and morning and at noon. Hey, I've got no money, but I want to give. Can I borrow some money? I don't know what came over me. My pockets are empty! Gold, coins, and all! I have never heard such a voice. You're going to have to borrow from someone else. Aw, man! There was also a man who became Whitfield's friend. This man
4: was a politician, philosopher, and scientific thinker, Benjamin Franklin. Ben's love for knowledge and science drew him to be curious about George. He was skeptical about the preacher, especially because he had claimed he preached to 30,000 people at one time. Well, Ben, being scientific, had to
3: see if this could really be possible. Now if I just keep walking backwards until I can no longer hear George's voice, I can measure how far he can be heard, and then measure how many people are within that distance. 21, 22, that's 23,000 square meters. That's like the size of four American football fields. That means that 30,000 people can easily hear Whitfield. Perhaps more, This, this is incredible. Ben and George met in
4: Philadelphia in 1739 in what was probably a meeting about the business of Ben printing George's sermons. George Whitefield preached the gospel to many and was famous for it. He traveled to many places and went across the Atlantic to preach in America 14 times. He was known as a leader of the Great Awakening. That is right, the Great Awakening, because the people who were in the church were asleep. There was no gospel being preached from the pulpits, and people who claimed to be religious did not live out the gospel. So, Whitfield came often to America to preach and had his sermons printed by Benjamin Franklin.
3: Mr. Franklin, how good it is to see you. Ah, George, good old pal. How's the printing going? It's going great. You're one popular fellow. You have people who love you and people who hate you but it sure does make for a good press. I have a bunch of new subscriptions because of your sermons. Ha, I was skeptical at first. Didn't even want to give you my pennies. (laughs) But then I heard you speak. You have a booming voice, one that grabs attention of people like I've never seen before. You know, I calculated, and what you say is true. You can reach 30,000 people in your crowds. Well, it's more than the powers that be at Instagram and Facebook would reach. And speaking of media, the sermons you print are reaching so many people. I get letters from people whose lives have been changed by knowing the saving work of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not sure about the Savior of yours, George, but what I will say is that I'm impressed by the change of people around here. Before you came and preached... Men were beasts and devils. Now you tell them of their sins, and they're changed. Surely, Ben, you see the work of the Son of God, God in human flesh, the Savior, Jesus Christ, then. Well, you know me. I'm still skeptical. Besides, Socrates and Jesus both have good things to say. I must admit, though, it has been wonderful to see the results of your preaching. The men who were just hanging out, being lazy... Mean and drinking far too much root beer before Now seem to be growing religious And I can't walk through the streets in the evenings Without hearing families on every street singing the psalms Oh, Ben How I wish you would put your intelligent mind On the things of the new birth The new creation you can be Upon believing in Jesus Christ as the Savior from your sins Oh, well, George You didn't come to preach to me, did you? (laughs) Well, sort of. You know me. Christ is in all of me, so I can't go without telling you about his power to save. Socrates didn't rise from the dead. Christ did. Well, how about we talk business, and then you can come and see your room. Miss Franklin has prepared. You're staying at my house, right? I sure am. And I bought some oats that the Quakers gave me to give to Mrs. Franklin for breakfast. I hear these oats will stick to your ribs. And by the way, if you were to offer that for Christ's sake, there would be a great reward in heaven. The offer isn't for Christ's sake. It's for your sake, George. Oh, would you like root beer? And that offer is also not for Christ's sake. You know, I'm still too British for root beer, Ben. No thanks, I'll take some tea. By the way, it's supposed to be stormy tomorrow, and I was thinking about flying a kite. Flying a kite in the storm? That's an interesting idea, as always, Ben. I won't ever stop praying for you, my dear friend. God used George Whitfield in the sermons
4: he preached to save many over the 31 years of his ministry. Franklin never believed the truth Whitfield was preaching, but he still printed the sermons and ads for sermons as well. Benjamin Franklin and George were friends till the end, and George would always tell him of Christ, so much so he told him of the gospel in his letters, saying he couldn't write to him without including that. But sadly, even though Ben Franklin was very smart and full of knowledge, he pushed away the only knowledge that really matters, the knowledge that Christ died for sinners and that if we believe in him, we can be saved. It can be tempting to try to use knowledge to explain the things of God, And maybe some knowledge can help. Listen to your Sunday school teachers and pastors and your parents, they share important knowledge. But in the end, knowledge can't bring you to believe in Christ and his work on the cross. It is only by faith. As Jesus himself said in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May God continue to give us the desire for the knowledge that matters, that Christ died for sinners, and that by believing that knowledge, we will be saved.
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed another edition of our As Told by Littles podcast theater. Thanks so much to the kids who did the voices for the characters Owen as George Whitfield, Aria as Benjamin Franklin. Micah as William the convert and Gideon as the congregant.
0: And of course, we can't forget Madeline as the narrator. All the kids did such a great job doing the voices.
1: They really did. And that brings us to the end of our episode, but we we have two things we want to really remind you about. One is if you're interested in As Told by Little's Productions, you can go to fivesolasmedia.com to check out some of the short films that we've made. And also, just new, you can go to American Gospel TV and you can actually stream our movies there as well.
0: Yes, that's very exciting news. And also, don't forget to check out our social media to see how you can win Crossways Church History Study Bible. This is an amazing Bible. We actually um, are loving this Bible. It has study notes with quotes from people all throughout church history. It's really up our alley, and we think you would really enjoy it as well. So we actually have a copy to give away on our social media, so don't forget to check that out.
1: This is Troy.
0: And Melissa Lamberth.
1: And this is all things, things together. together we're so glad you listened all the way through
0: please let us know what you think by leaving us a review hey that rhymed no more rhyming and i mean it anybody want a peanut
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the all things together podcast brought to you by five solas media visit five